Your support of the Candid Frame over the past 12 years has been invaluable to us. You have not only helped us produce over 400 episodes, but your donations directly helped us to create the Candid Frame app and making it available for free. We are now proud to announce the release of a new way for you to listen to TCF. We have released a new skill that is compatible with Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. Using voice commands, you can listen to the latest episodes, jump forward and back, and if you stop listening partway through an episode, it will remember where you left off. And like the Candid Frame app, it's free for users in the U.S. and Canada. In the coming months, the skill will be available in other countries. And I'll let you know when those become available. You can help and continue to support the work that we do here by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. You not only help us to meet our cost of production, but provide us the means to improve the quality of the show and do so much more. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. While I'm here in San Francisco, attending Street Photo SF, I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of wonderful photographers. I've met some new people, as well as reconnected with some old friends. I have also had the pleasure to sit down with a young photographer I spoke to last year, Fadi Bukharam. If you remember Fadi, he is from Lebanon, and his personal project involves his traveling across the United States, visiting towns that share the same name of his hometown back in Beirut. This trip has resulted in him meeting some amazing people and having some exceptional encounters. He has also been able to document a facet of modern American life that, for good or ill, has not only influenced our politics, but also how we see ourselves. My conversation with Fadi not only provided me a chance to check in on his progress, but to have a frank conversation about what it takes to become a better and more sensitive photographer. Well, Fadi, welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, thank you for having me again. <laughs> I, 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 even though I've, I've talked to, to, to people before, whenever I have a chance to meet somebody in person... I, I just want to be able to talk to them again face to face because last time we talked, we, we talked over Skype, and you were in Beirut at the time, right? I was in Beirut. Okay, yeah. all right. So it's been a, it's only been about a year now, or something like that, because it's 2017 that we yeah, talked. yeah. I got back March 2017 yeah. to Beirut. So a lot of stuff has been happening with you, but yeah. <laughs> I was talking to somebody else last night. Uh, and they told me about the adventure you had in New Mexico. So before I get into anything else with you, you got to tell me that. Okay. Tell, tell me that story. <laughs> and for people who may not have heard the previous episode, you may want to explain why you were on the road and, okay. and so on and so forth. So take it away. Uh, okay, so let me start by explaining the trip that I was doing. Yeah. So there's uh, four, basically there's 47-ish towns in the USA called Lebanon. And I'm Lebanese from Lebanon, so I thought that I wanted to do a trip to visit all these towns to photograph them. And that was between October 2016 and March 2017. So the trip was originally about that, but also turned into other things because it happened during the presidential elections. I mean, I made it on purpose. 
to coincide with that. And uh, it turned into an interesting, interesting trip. But the last part that you're talking about now, which is the, the RV. Okay, so what, what I didn't say is that I traveled in an RV, which is a motorhome. That's how I lived there. That's how I moved. And uh, on the last day before I was due to return the RV because it was a rental, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And a friend of mine had told me that the area over there is a little bit rough. So I stayed in a motel there just to, you know, to avoid any of this. So I slept, woke up, checked the RV. It was there. I thought, okay, I'll have some breakfast and then head out. And I had the breakfast and I walk out to get the RV and it just wasn't there. I probably circled, circled the parking lot four or five times thinking maybe I parked at the wrong place, but I can find it. And then I realized that it was just stolen and it had everything in it. It had my cameras, my clothes, all the souvenirs that I had been gathering on the road for the you know previous five months. The only thing I had on me was my computer and a small camera, which is like the bag. So I had to call the cops, and the cops pretty much told me that you'll probably never get it because it's probably on its way to Mexico because that's I mean, that that was the thing. So I just went back to the motel and slept. Well, I didn't sleep. I was like lay in bed not being able to think about anything. The only thing that was partial good news to me is that all the photos that I had taken were uploaded to the cloud during the trip. So okay. at least I wasn't going to lose that. But, you know, cameras closed, everything, these were gone. But then the cops call me at night, at the same day, and tell me that they had found the RV. It's like, okay, how can I go get it? It's like, it's not in a good situation, so I doubt you're going to get it, but we might have your stuff. So they told me to go back to visit them the next day. Like, they gave me an address, and I went there, and there was no RV. There was just a pickup truck that was loaded with stuff and all my things. I could see my camera bag, everything in it, but yeah. and it was in the bed of the pickup truck, but I wasn't allowed to touch it. So... The story was that a group of two women, <laughs> mother and daughter team, had stolen the RV and they were in the process of turning it into a meth lab. And <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that's as per the policeman. And what had happened is that they also stole a pickup truck and they emptied all the contents of my RV in the pickup truck, hoping to sell everything while doing what they did okay. at the RV. And they were arrested while they were high, but at the same time they had ruined the RV trying to figure out some things, at least like the dashboard, you know, maybe they were hot wiring all that So because okay. they broke the lock. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I wasn't allowed to touch the stuff in the pickup truck because it was stolen too and they didn't have the clearance of, they didn't know who the owner was. So they had to take it to an impound, but they allowed me to go with them to, to do to lift fingerprints and all that. And w there, I found who the identity of the person who stole the RV is, and we found her heroin and all my. I had a binder with the rental agreement, all my documents. Yeah. She had taken it, throw the throw the documents away, and had put needles in them. And <laughs> yeah, this is where the needles, the tourniquet, everything was there. Yeah. And what was even odder is that the the cops let me keep those. 
They were what? Yeah, yeah. They were unused needles. I mean, they were yeah, clean yeah. and all that. I said, "Can I keep that?" And they said, "Yes, you can." And the only reason I asked is that I took a picture and then threw threw them away in the garbage. Okay. Because you don't want to be traveling with any of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I also found her diary, the woman, and other than her diary, I found that she had listed every single lens or camera that I had with a serial number and she was trying to get a quote online to sell them and all of that during 12 hours and I still kept those wow and uh, but the saddest part was reading her diary which she was she had left and she was homeless she was newly homeless she had a four-year-old kid and she was already she already had problems and she was out on parole so she broke her parole yeah and got back in jail and six months later she was out again. So even after stealing the RV and the right. camera and all that, so she she got back out. So hopefully she's uh, on the path to being clean. But I'm heading out on a new trip, and I'm trying to connect with her. I want to talk to her. Just we had talked about it yesterday a little bit, but I mean, no hard feelings at all. I just want to see what's what's going on. So. I mean, I got my stuff back. The only yeah. thing that I lost was a small suitcase full of souvenirs mm-hmm. that, you know, from people meeting me on the road and giving me stuff. But right. that's a little bit immaterial compared to the other stuff. So it's like, I really honestly don't have anything against her. I just want to see how she's doing. And maybe, I don't know, maybe long shot, but it's like, if I talk to her and say, it's like, you know, reach out. I, I don't know. I'm not having high hopes, but I just want to talk to her, just to see yeah. how she's doing. That's it. Ken told me something about your photographs. Did something happen with your, uh, maybe some of the prints that you had? That That's part of the souvenirs things. Like oh, meeting okay. photographers along the road, they gave me photos. Oh, and they took them. Yeah, including uh, a very, you know, valuable photo, which we saw at the Leica exhibitions yesterday, which uh-huh. is by Richard Sandler. And it, it's the one oh. exhibited by Richard Sandler. And it was given to me as a gift by David Horton, my friend from Observe. Oh, and, wow. And that was lost. I mean, I I feel bad for losing this one, but again, it's like it's just stuff, you know. Yeah, it's, like, it's just stuff. Yeah. You know, a lot of people dream of imagine, you know, imagine traveling around the country yeah. in an RV or in a car, meeting <laughs> yeah. people, making photographs. Yeah. But stuff like this does and can happen. Yeah. So, but it doesn't seem to have dissuaded you at all from. No. No. I mean, I had posted. When when the RV was stolen, I mean, you know, you're on Facebook, you're alone. That's what you do. You post on Facebook. Yeah. And I said my RV was lo- was stolen, and I got a lot of you know nice messages from people, but a lot of them seem to think it's like, well, you know, only in America. It's like, <laughs> not that's not true at all. I mean, yeah, that's not true at all. I mean, it could have happened anywhere. I mean, even in Lebanon, we have notorious cases of these things happening in certain areas. But Albuquerque seems to be a hotspot for stuff like that. Because when I went to the impound, the impound lot, there was, I can't can't count how many stolen RVs, not not, not just cars, RVs, because of the meth thing. Yeah, Everybody wants to be Walter White from... Breaking Bad. Yeah, when I heard that it was in Albuquerque, I was just like, "What a more perfect place for that to happen to you!" For anyone who follows Breaking Bad, that's that's the the city where that whole series was set. So that's very, very, very funny. Well, I'm glad that you came out of it okay, and and that you were safe, and that you got back all your stuff. Thank you. You know, we had a long conversation about your life in you know Beirut and how you became a photographer. But one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was. Developing as a photographer, yes, you know, because I really love, I really love looking at your work. Thank you. And I, I, I was just looking at them 
uh, the images this morning, and it, you have a, a sensibility that I really appreciate and admire that I would like to, to obtain myself. In, in terms of the, the, the way you see and the way you build your compositions. But, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot lately in terms of how a photographer gets to that point. And I thought, you know, since we've already talked about your overall career, I really wanted to focus more about what things you have done that have helped you sort of develop your eye. Because a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people who've been shooting for very short periods of time, some of whom I've, I've met here in San Francisco, who've been able to become really good photographers within a relatively short period of time. And I know other people who've been shooting for a long time yes. that never get it. Yeah. Right? Yes. So what do you attribute to yourself in, with respect to being able to be a pretty, really good photographer within you know, a relatively short period of time? Thank you. I mean, uh, there, were, there was definitely a lot of learning involved, and most of the learning had to be you know, on your own, because I didn't go to art school, but mm-hmm. I did do two workshops that the first one was with David Gibson back in no, 2011, probably. And this one we were talking about, it was, it was important to me, not because of the workshop itself, but because it introduced me to all the great photographers, mm-hmm. which I had no idea who they were. You know, even back in 2011, when I saw who Cartier-Bresson, for example, was, yeah. it was the first time knowing that this person exists. I mean, not just him, but a lot. So that got me into being interested in the, let's say, call them the greats of photography, because much of getting an eye to photography involves studying the history of photography, I think. Yeah. So there's that part. The other part is, it's not about being self-deprecating, but it's about forcing yourself to say that I'm not good over and over again, mm-hmm. not for the reason of saying I'm not good because you know it's not fishing for anything, but to be able to say I want to learn. I mean, that right. was my thing. So if I want to learn, that means I have to admit, I have to know what my shortcomings are. Mm-hmm. So back then, there was a, Flickr was big in 2012, 2013, and we were all part of a group that was a street critique kind of thing. Yeah. That's where I met all my friends from our collective Observe there. And we were really honest about, you know, telling each other that this works, this does not work. And it drives you to want to improve, Mm -hmm. at least on the technical level. But when it comes to, let's say, having your own voice or what you mentioned, like having a sensibility to sensitivity to certain things, that involves a lot of psychological (laughs) <laughs> uh, analysis, or let's let's call it self-analysis. Yeah, you know, a long time ago, I mean, not long, when I when I started shooting, I was interested more in the forms of things. And forms, I'm talking about the shadows and lights right. and the compositions, and you know, the the form aspect, not the content, not necessarily right, yeah. the content. But the first time I realized that there's something about the content for me. It's like I'm, I need to focus on that part was that when I got a serious block trying to photograph people in Beirut, mm-hmm. which was, you know, I'm liking the shapes that I'm doing, but when it comes to photographing the people up close, I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. And it, it's like this is the part where you know there's something wrong going on if something's blocking me from shooting. Yeah. And at the time, I realized that it all had to do with... Uh, 
I mean, you're from Lebanon. It's just a history of war. You not liking the people back then. Mm-hmm. Not liking the people, I mean, when you're a kid and you, in your mind, it's the adults who are responsible for everything bad going on. Like, you develop this aversion to people. It's like, right. you either stop or you try and get to the bottom of it so you can move forward. And this is what I wanted to do. So just to be able to understand the people more, to be able to empathize with them, even though there's this childhood block that you are responsible for everything bad going on, mm-hmm. you know? So that happened, and I found myself being drawn into photography more because there was a therapeutical aspect to all of this, Okay, you know? And this is, uh, and this continues to this day for me is that, for example, as I'm driving across the United States, uh, I do meet a lot of people who, let's say, might not like where I'm from or my background, but I don't mind. It's not that I want to, I say, I don't want to change their opinions about anything, mm-hmm. but I've come to like a small, I say, conclusion is that having conversations with people mm-hmm. from, you know, any backgrounds, regardless of what preconceptions they had or, or I have, mm-hmm. brings down barriers. And this bringing down of these barriers uh, is, uh, let's say, is beneficial psychologically, at least to me. Right. And this also, to me, reflects positively on how I approach photography. I don't know if I'm making no, much I sense think, in that. No, I think, I think because what I'm getting from you, and you, I'll re- kind of rephrase okay. it, and you can tell me if I'm getting it right, that by going beyond the aesthetics, and by being more immersed in the experience, yes. you're able to use what you've learned in terms of making an interesting composition to inform the photographs so that they mean something, at least to you personally. Yes. Is that? Yes, yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. No, and, and I really sort of appreciate that because I think sometimes I personally can get lost in the aesthetics of things to the exclusion of everything else, you know, because yeah. I'm looking at a scene and then I just put the pieces together. And part yeah. of it is the fact that I'm always teaching this stuff. Yes. So I'm always like immersed in that rather than being in situations where my own experience is at the forefront yes. of everything, everything that I'm doing. But yeah. I think it's, this is a really interesting conversation for me because I sometimes have felt that as good as a photograph as I'm capable of making, sometimes it rings hollow to me. You know, it's a beautiful photograph. Yes. But is there any there there? Right. Yeah. And I think at some point you'll feel it. Basically, it's like, God, I want something more from from my photographs. And it has nothing to do with the way it looks. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I mean, I think this is the the initial barrier, which is you want to get the aesthetics right. Yeah. But that that's you want the next step, the next step of having content that clicks with you. First and foremost, and then mm-hmm. if it clicks with other, other people, then it's fine. Right. But I mean, we photograph people, right? So a lot of what we do is observe people, look at them. Mm-hmm. So there is a thing where we, I don't want to say we become experts, but we become more aware of people's body language and facial expressions. So this to me is interesting that a facial expression or about you know or body language can convey a state of mind that is interesting to capture mm-hmm. you know just it could be like a flick of an eyebrow that 
you know, that says something about the person that is not obvious. You don't, you know, I don't want to spoon feed anyone. So I like this kind of subtlety in the faces of people. So this thing about, you know, the context. Yes. Because you're photographing people who are complete strangers. Yes. Some of who are aware of your camera. Yes. Some of whom are, are engaged with you. Yes. So is creating basically the circumstances that you're photographing the key that allows you to create more intimate photographs? Because especially if you're photographing people that you don't know and you're doing more candidly, how do you sort of elicit what we're talking about from the photographs? Uh, Okay, well, this is a... It's interesting you mentioned that because I've been thinking about that today, not about the specific thing. But uh, originally, when I started shooting, you know, regular street photography and by talking regular, it's like strangers not engaged. I don't talk to them, you know, any of that because I didn't like to talk to them for the main reason is that there's this aspect of being a little bit antisocial, being on your own. I mean, I, I like that. So when I first did my you know, my U.S. trip a couple of years ago, I knew that I had to overcome that because I'm still not too comfortable around crowds. Like we yesterday, we were at the, you know, at the Leica opening right. mm-hmm. and it was fine for, let's say, half an hour. But then that means I have to go and sit by myself for a couple of hours to, oh, <laughs> to, yeah. to, to unwind because there's an energy to that I have to put and I'm sure a lot of people have to put to being around crowds and you know the conversations yeah so uh, getting back to the point we're talking about is that on that trip when I'm trying to engage engage with people it's not that I was being awkward but it was I was silent a lot of the time it's that you know I'm introducing myself to folks Mm -hmm. and you know hello and I'm smiling and you know all that it was genuine but at the same time it took an effort and I Instead of engaging where I'm talking the whole time, I'm just silent the whole time because I want them to talk. That's one. Two, mm-hmm. I'm more comfortable not talking. So, yeah. and when they would talk, and especially it happened with the, you know, with the older folk where maybe they don't have as many opportunities to talk to others. Mm-hmm. Like they'd see, they'd hear the silence and they'd want to fill the silence. Yeah. And they would talk and talk and open up. And this was surprisingly helpful as far as me asking them, well, while you're talking, can I take your photos? Mm -hmm. And they would just, you know, continue talking as much as I wanted to and no interruptions. And I mean, that worked. So I hope I can continue to do that, you know, to talk to people, but with minimal intervention from my part. So, you know, when you look at your photographs now as compared to then, a lot of those pictures may have uh, a similar aesthetic sensibility yes, in terms of the composition and light yeah. color. But what are you seeing in your own photographs or what are you hoping to see in your photographs that speaks to this idea of having that, uh, you know, that something, something in it? That uh, I like to see, you know, a human vulnerability in a photo. Mm. Yeah. Not vulnerability in terms of, you know, uh, I'm not trying to be exploitative, but vulnerability in terms of, you know, we're all humans. We all have our vulnerabilities. And what makes us human are these points where we, you know, you drop the, the fronts, the you drop the facades yeah. and you show your own self through these weaknesses or weaknesses is a bad word. Let's keep it vulnerabilities. So, uh, and I am perfectly aware that this also reflects on me in terms of, you know, me taking photos of these reflects on me trying to show the vulnerable side, my vulnerable side, let's say. No. And this took a lot of work because this is mainly cultural, 
cultural in terms of, you know, where I grew up. I mean, I'm sure it exists in a lot of places, but where I grew up, it's like, you know, if you're a man, you don't show these things. It's like you're, yeah. you know, and that was a big part of what I used to do in my old job. You know, when when I was still in finance and all that, it's like you know, you keep the front. You're a businessman. You know, you're the suit. Yeah, I was the yeah. suit, and I was uh, at one point when I was uh, working at a bank. I mean, I was uh, a risk manager at a bank where I used to work. I don't think I was a nice person too, <laughs> but that <laughs> be, because that was what my job involved, which mm. is to monitor all the, tr- uh, the the traders on stock market, and you have to you know put limits to what they do, and you know I was pretty aggressive, but that reflected badly on my health, you know, high blood pressure and all yeah, that. Yeah. So when I quit all that, suddenly you know the blood pressure is gone, <laughs> the high blood pressure is gone, and. I'm more at ease with who I am. So. Yeah. But you know that you make it by bringing that up. You make an interesting point because I, I, I would assume I've never been in that world, but I would assume that a lot of the people in there are really self-conscious or self-aware in terms of the facade they're putting out there. You know, they've got the suits that they've paid a grip for in terms of that. They got the hair, the manicure. Uh-huh. Uh, they being vulnerable is. Something you do not risk, absolutely. You know, because you know the sort of the disadvantage that places you in yeah. terms of the the whole jungle, absolutely, of Wall Street and yeah. all that stuff like that. So it, it's really kind of interesting that you take that experience and you're sort of in a different way able to move past that when you photograph people. Do you know what I mean? That the, yeah. you, <laughs> that you are going, you're creating a situation where you're able to get past that in in a way that you probably weren't able to when you were. You know, working at the bank and the yeah, IRS. absolutely. I, I mean, it's uh, I say it's like it's almost as if you're living two different lives. Mm-hmm. But back then, I mean, back then, I wasn't when I was working at the bank. I wasn't interested in interested in people. Yeah, as who they are. You know, like I said, I was interested in shapes. But you could feel that small, like you know, small spark was like, well, maybe I want to be interested in people. So uh, getting past that, it involved a lot of work I, I suppose mm-hmm. and it involved being uh, around photographers more because photographers a lot of them don't have a problem saying you know putting down their facades right whereas you know in the some book, of them well yeah yeah I mean I mean at least the people I like to hang out with yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean there's this affinity between people who you know like-minded people let's yeah. say you know so I like that part, and it drove me to be more like them, let's say, to drop the facades and yeah. all that. So. Uh, that that work at the bank, you had to have a pretty good BS meter? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how, how does that translate to when you're interacting with people in and making photographs? I can't, how to say, I can't explain it exactly in words, but there's something, like I said, all about the body language and the face and all yeah. that. There's... Something when you're talking to someone that rings untrue when there's a facade there, mm-hmm. you know, you can tell that there's something's not clicking, you know, right. and still I mean, when I'm engaging with someone who I want to photograph, who I sense that there's something wrong with what they're saying, mm-hmm. I'm not going to drop in and say, OK, goodbye, but yeah. I won't use any of, you know, I won't use any of the photos. It's like I try to, you know, put it, put it back. So but I, I have been in a few of these situations. Are there things that you try to do that you used back then that to help sort of, you know, break through that? Or do you just 
just kind of roll with it and either works or doesn't work. Um, you know, when I interview people, I'm yes. always trying to get through yeah. that yeah. in order to be able to get something genuine from the conversation. Yes. But for you, when you kind of want the photograph, yeah. are there things that you've kind of learned to do when you're in the banking industry that kind of helps you sort of make that happen to get the photograph, to get something genuine from the person? I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to describe, but, you know, when you keep talking with someone, even if they have their guards, their guard on, yeah. right? Uh, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist or any of that, mm-hmm. but there are moments when uh, you're talking to someone and it's all about the eyes where they avert the eye, you know, they move it yeah, or something. Yeah, uh-huh. And you sense that you've hit a small nerve about something. So you try to address, you ask more questions about the area where you felt that mm-hmm. you kind of saw some truth yeah. behind that facade. I can't be more specific because... No, you know, I, but, I, I, no I completely get that. Yeah. I completely get that because I... I, I'm I'm conscious of that myself, and partly because I'm very sensitive sensitive about that myself. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, so yeah, I think probably absolutely. everybody is. But it's like, you know, you, like we're talking about the facade. If in social situations, I'm almost just like you, though. I don't need to break out for as long a period, yeah. but I am very hyper conscious of myself. You know, and yeah. it, and and it really. It makes me sensitive to other people because yeah. part of it was just recognizing that everybody's going through this to some yeah. to some degree. So I think it makes it helpful when I'm interacting with someone else to have an eye for that. Absolutely, yeah. You know? <laughs> no, I totally get that. Yeah, because yeah. I want something. Because <laughs> like just like you, I want something genuine when I'm making a photograph of someone. Yeah. Whether it's a perfect stranger or somebody that I I, I know, but I think that uh, part of the the challenge sometimes has little to do with the person that you're photographing and more so with yourself. Oh, right? totally agree. Right? Because totally it's agree. like, okay, how how can I get past my own discomfort, my yeah. own anxiety, my own self-doubt yeah. to be able to have a genuine moment with someone? Because sometimes it's not the other person's BS, which yeah. is, is the issue. It's my own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and this is what, where it comes to what I was talking about earlier about be to be more silent with people. Yeah. I mean, it's not on purpose. It's like I want to be silent so that they could talk more, but that's because I'm more comfortable not talking. I I guess Mm. being aware of that is, I don't know, maybe other people see that part of as a, you know, as a vulnerability in you and they try to talk to fill up the void. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe that I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I think part of it is most people are uncomfortable with the silence. Which yeah. is something that I use to great effect for for the show. Obviously, I mean, it's just like I just like okay, yeah. let, me not, let me not say anything immediately because they'll probably just keep going and give yes. me something interesting. Yeah, but I think part of it is is people when they feel like they're being listened to. Yeah, it 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 opens up the door, and I totally. think and I think that that is something that appeals to me, even when I'm photographing strangers. Uh, I like those yeah. moments. Yeah. Because yeah. I think I have genu- some really genuine moments with with those people that I sometimes don't have with the people that are in yeah. my life. As much as I can care or love, you know, people in my family or my friends, there's always this overall 
sense yeah. of guardedness in terms of, yeah. you know, what you say, what you don't say, because you know the, all the history, yeah. you know what sort of are really sensitive topics of discussion and things like that. Absolutely. And, oh, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. But with a, with a complete stranger, I think that you have an opportunity to have these really sort of genuine moments yeah. and to talk about stuff that normally wouldn't be talked about. No. And it's just like, I, I think there's a level of of safety in the anonymity. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that part, the safety in the anonymity, its negative effects is what shows up online between people. Oh, yeah. Whereas yeah. there's much positivity when it's a face-to-face with a stranger. You know, it's like it's two the two sides, like one the good th- good side and a bad side. I'm saying mm-hmm. there is a level of negativity that comes to the safety of anonymity online, yeah. but it comes out to a good experience when you're talking to people face to face. So, how has you know the project and you basically putting yourself in that situation over and over and over again sort of helped you to develop basically? The, the skill set that you use when you're making photographs. How important has that been to you becoming better? It it helped, how to say, it helped by cutting out a lot of what I used to photograph, what I used to think as interesting before, that now does not interest me at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also, well, there is a slightly... I don't say negative, but a slightly weird thing that came out of that trip and listening to the, talking to the people, mm-hmm. which is I'm still interested in photography and I still love photography, but I've become even more interested in just taking down the stories of the people that things that might not be included in the photo itself or things that you might not put be able to put in a photo Photograph- itself, okay. just recording the stories of the people. So... From one side, you know, it helped me, I hope, I mean, bring out more a more human side in the photography. But and on the other side, I've found out at least my own limitation to taking a picture or to how much a picture can convey without the addition of text. Mm-hmm. So I've, you know, I've become a little bit more interested in the text side of things. You know, it's like recording the the. the the stories of the people I'm photographing in writing and not just through a photograph. Yeah. So this is probably uh, giving you a much, much more critical eye about a lot of the work that's out there yes. being produced by other photographers. Yes, very and, much. Uh, so what do you what do you find that you're seeing a lot today that you feel like, man, I wish people would get away from from, from doing this or seeing uh, that go away? That's a bit of a hot topic, I guess. <laughs> I wish people would get away from jokes, mm. the visual jokes. Yeah. I don't, I just don't understand that anymore. You know, it's like, because it's funny for a second, but then, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I'm talking about, you know, the visual puns. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, I, but I feel guilty saying that because at one point I was really interested in that. So, I mean, because I thought they were funny. You know, mm-hmm. so so me criticizing them right now feels bad because it's as if, you know, you work to outgrow them and you're criticizing the people who are still interested in them. It's like, who are you to say that? Yeah. I'm just saying it's my own view is that I wish I don't have to see. I mean, I try to avoid seeing these things. And a lot of the shots that are 
solely interested in the, I'm say, like that seems uh, emotionally empty. That's a lot of work out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of work. I mean, maybe if someone's starting, I mean, they should go through that as yeah, everyone absolutely. went through that. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's like the person who's standing on a curb, you know, taking photo after photo of people passing by. Uh, I mean, we're not all Gary Winogrand. So there's a lot of stuff that aims to be that, but is not. I mean, maybe it's a, it's a what do you call it, a stage where everyone has to pass it. Mm-hmm. But you see a lot of these photos and it's like, you know, maybe we shouldn't see that many of them. Yeah. I mean, for me, the biggest thing I can say about when I'm looking through Flickr or I'm looking through Instagram or looking at somebody's portfolio is like, surprise me. Yeah. Surprise me. <laughs> yeah. And when I get surprised, especially when I see someone's photography who's showing me a scene that I see all the time. Yeah. And all of a sudden I go, wow, I never saw it that way. Yeah. And it's just not just about street photography in terms of people walking down the street. It's yeah. any kind of photography yeah, yeah. Yeah. that, that, that uses, you know, the world, you know, as it's, as it's raw materials to create yeah. a photograph. Just surprise me. Yeah. You know, show me, show me a way of seeing the world that I've never considered before. And when that happens, it's yeah. just like, it's revelatory. And I think it, it, it takes work to get to that point. It does. But I think sometimes, it's too easy for people to settle for making a good composition or getting a sharp photograph with knife bokeh and you know oh, no. and, it's, yeah. and, it's, and yeah. it's, you know a lot of stuff that I think is people are way too preoccupied yeah preoccupied with and you know part of it just may have to do with age and me being more of a curmudgeon no. but <laughs> but you know it's just like I, I know what I want from the photographs yeah. that I see of other people yeah. and it just it just puts the fire under me to push myself that much harder to be able to do it because God knows you know I may not be successful in doing it myself but I like the fact that I'm I'm trying yeah. to get to that point well this is this comes back a little bit to what I was talking about earlier about trying to put yourself down I see a lot of benefits in that. I mean, you know, you know, to say I'm bad at this, I'm not good enough. Mm. Not, I'm not saying it's like you're putting yourself down to the point where you block yourself, but just Correct. you know, yeah. a little bit of self whipping doesn't harm anyone. To say it's like I must improve. I must, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I hear people not too often because, like you, I, I'm very careful about who I include in my life. But I, I remember having conversations with guys who felt like they were the, you know. The it, you know, yeah. and and you take a look at the photographs and you were just like going, okay, yeah, all right. And then the, the most humble people uh, who produce just kick-ass work, yeah. who really don't say anything, uh, and and you're just like going, I want to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you're, yeah. you're doing something that I'm not doing, that I'm aspiring to do, and I really want to just be able to pick your brain, which this show gives me the perfect excuse to do Absolutely. that. <laughs> but... I think it's it's important to consider who you're hanging out with. Well, this, I mean, the kind of per- people you just described is just a, a big deal breaker to me. It's like I don't, I just I don't want to talk to these people. Mm-hmm. What, which means how to say it's like um, someone comes in, it's like, uh, oh, look at this beautiful photograph I took. I mean, it might be a beautiful photograph, but. Don't talk like that. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I'm allergic to this kind of Man, like, okay. oh, I mean, look at this great work I'm doing. It's like, 
I don't mean maybe they're good. I don't I don't understand why I react this way, but it's like when someone talks like that, it's just like no, 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 I don't want to talk to you. You know, it's like. <laughs> See, let me be, let me be the judge of that. Yeah, yeah, I I, I I get that. But it's kind of interesting being up here and I'm meeting all these yes different photographers, all these different approaches. Yes, you know, meeting the face of face facial face frontal guys, flash frontal guys. Oh, full frontal, full frontal. What is that? You full know, frontal flash. I full think. frontal yeah, flash guys. F. And it's really yeah. been interesting because I yeah. meet these guys and they're using, you know, they're practicing an approach to photography that I don't practice. Yeah. But it's been really interesting to sort of get an appreciation for why they do it the way they do. Yeah. You know, uh, especially Johan, who's who from Sweden. Well, and who who's. Use of flash is a practical one, just because at certain times of the year, yeah. there's no light. Well, I mean, uh, one absolutely. Two. It's funny you mentioned Johan because um, Johan Jalbo. That's uh-huh. it. So Johan. Um, I had met Johan in Germany when we had a like um, festival over there, yeah. and I have to admit that before meeting Johan, I always had a negative view of people who flashed because in my mind. There are they are these really aggressive folks, right? You know, and I'm sure there are a lot of those, but, but we don't have to name them. But it wasn't <laughs> until I was walking with Johan and I saw him in action, and I see him, you know, flashing people, and they smile back at him. Uh-huh. I was like, "What the? Is, you know, it's going yeah. on." So, so he has this aura, I guess, where he does what he does, but without being an aggressive person. Yeah. So I, so they they changed my mind as to the kind of work that they do. I mean, all of Full Frontal, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I know all of them. I'm not naming all of them, but, you know, Tyler and Clifton and Ben and all that. It's like, they do beautiful stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I really really have had, like you said, a greater appreciation for how they approach it, but because I understand why they approach it. Right and having an understanding, yeah. Because like, I know Michelle Groskoff, who's a new yeah. member of that. Finally met her, and Michelle <laughs> is just, just. I love Michelle. She's yeah. just really awesome. But I, my appreciation of her photographs goes along with no understanding how much she loves the people that she's photographing. Yeah, and I think it goes back to how you know what started this whole conversation is 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 going beyond the aesthetics. Yeah, it's like why are you making those photographs? Yeah. And sometimes people who take a look at the photographs themselves do not have the benefit of that understanding. Yeah. They just make a judgment on those photographs, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. But I think that for people like us who are creative, who are making the same kind of work, who aspire to do more with our work, having an understanding of the why is beneficial for not only appreciating someone else's work sometimes, but being able to appreciate what we're trying to do as well. Absolutely. You know, you, you know, you don't always get the benefit of understanding the why when you take a yeah. look at someone's work. Yeah. Sometimes it's just not gonna, not gonna happen. But I think in terms of developing your own sensibility, yeah. it's sometimes really valuable to have an understanding of why someone else does it the way they yeah. do, because you can sort of ruminate on that and really sort of consider and reconsider why you do things the way you do. Yeah, I mean. When I'm talking, when I'm looking at flash photos by these folks, I mean mm-hmm. there are a lot of people, but the main reason I think where I'm connecting with the photos, regardless of how they're doing it, mm-hmm. uh, even let's say with uh, Michelle's work, whose work I love, and I mean I hadn't met until a couple of days ago, is that w- even with flash, 
you know, maybe the word even with. But I mean, in my mind, with the preconception I had about Flash, you could see the total respect of the subject. I mean, by the photographer respecting the subject that they did. I mean, mm-hmm. I totally connect with that. You know, it just feels me it's like I do not like to see a subject in a photo where it seems as if the photographer is making fun of them, regardless. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is, this is just a, a big no to me. And even, let's say, I'd say there was a lot of that politically. Politically, I'm, I mean, back when the presidential elections were going on mm-hmm. and all that. And people were shooting a part of the population, let's say, uh, with the intent of making fun of them because of who they voted for. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So I do not like that at all because as photographers, we always have the upper hands. We always have the upper hand over the subjects we're shooting. So regardless of, mm-hmm. you know, who the person is, just even if you don't like the person you're shooting, just show a little bit of respect. Oh, yes, absolutely. Show uh-huh. a little bit of respect, which is, and I mean, I, I love that. And talking about Michelle, it's like she's probably one of the, Few people, I mean, her and uh, Stacy Kranitz. I'm not familiar with. Yeah, Stacey. like they both shot, you know, uh, people in political rallies and okay. on both sides. But you could see the respect. I mean, that's all you want. It's like respect the the human being who you're shooting, regardless of whether you agree with them or not. Yeah, everybody's deserving of, of dignity. Yeah, regardless yeah, yeah. of you know whether yeah, you yeah. agree with them politically. It's or very easy or to make fun of people through a camera. You know, whether, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like, why do I want to, like we, like I said, we have the upper hand. Let's not use that bit of power that we have with the camera for bad intentions. And there's, with enough, bad intentions. there's enough bad stuff going on out there. We yeah. don't need to contribute to it yeah. at all. Yeah. So, oh man, I really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> I really enjoyed <laughs> it. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, well, my last question to you yes. is I ask each guest is I ask you to uh, recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore and it can be anyone someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered so who would that one photographer be and why okay uh well since i mentioned her right now stacy granitz okay stacy granitz has been shooting the appalachian uh you know mountains in the area for a long long time and she's one of my photographic heroes when it comes to the you know, connecting with people and getting to the bottom of, you know, getting stories out of them mm-hmm. and to the way she treats her subject with, you know, with respect. So I, I love that. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome. My brother, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank and, you for uh, having me again. I'm going to look forward to uh, spending some time with you this afternoon, Stay sitting here. in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming. So. <laughs> Thanks to Fadi for spending time with us again. To find out more about Fadi and his work, visit FadiBukaram.com. And you can show your support of The Candid Frame by writing a review in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, these reviews can lead people to listen to us for the very first time. And that makes a big difference. So if you haven't already, please take the time to do it today. 
You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help us to not only meet the cost of production for the show, but allow us to improve our podcast, YouTube channel, and website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution, you can do so via PayPal. You'll find links for both on the Candid Frame website or the show notes. Thanks to Michael Sterling and Keith Settle for their recent contributions to the show. It means a lot to me. Thank you. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for both Apple iOS and Android. Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, but you can now easily share your favorite episodes on your social networks and help spread the word. And if you want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other martintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbadianX. And this is IbadianX, and this is The Candid Frame.